This is TechSnap, episode 402, for April 25th, 2019. Hello and welcome to TechSnap, Jupiter Broadcasting Systems, Network, and Administration podcast. My name is Wes, and I'm joined once again by Jim. Hello, Jim. What's up, everybody? Last episode, we had a great time talking about ZFS, but ZFS is so great, well, we just couldn't cover it all. And the first thing that came to my mind that that we just didn't have time to talk about was the copy-on-write nature of ZFS, because it sounds a little bit technical, we can get into what copy-on-write means, but it's a lot of the magic behind this incredible file system. Yeah, it is. You know, we we mentioned very briefly, we talked about snapshots before, how... Uh, and and we talked about that because you asked about ZFS on root. Why would you want ZFS on your root file system and what could you do with it? And I mentioned that you could just immediately roll your entire system back to the condition it was in before you did something that turned out to be a huge mistake. Um, the feature that enables that is atomic snapshots. And in order to have atomic snapshots, you need to have a copy on write file system. What an atomic snapshot actually means is the word atomic in this context, it doesn't mean that it's nuclear, that there's any electrons getting split or any, uh, you know, anything like that going on. It means that it's an operation that happens all at once. You can't split it into two pieces. When you take a snapshot, if it was not atomic, you wouldn't be guaranteed that you would have consistent data throughout the entire system. You might have been writing to it in the middle of when you took your snapshot, and it might be partially written to and partially not written to, so your data would be in an inconsistent condition. But for an atomic snapshot means that it happens in between any other disk operations so that you can be guaranteed that when you take your snapshot, the file system itself is completely consistent. Now, an individual file might still be inconsistent at the application level. Uh, you know, maybe you were using a database that had written one row and it really wanted to write another row before it was done. So you might be inconsistent at that level, but your file system itself will be intact. None of your files will be corrupt. And that's very important. Right. It's not like half the blocks got written from that request. Exactly. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that can happen. Uh, you know, if you try to use a tool like rsync to, uh, you know, replicate an entire large file system, each one of those files will end up being correct because the atomic operation when you're doing rsync is when you actually open the file handle on a file. Once rsync opens that file handle on that file, even if another process writes to the file, it kind of happens in the background and rsync still sees the condition of the file at the time that it opened it. So the files will be atomic if you're doing an rsync, but the system as a whole will not be and one example of that might be a mail server. If it takes you four hours to do an rsync copy of a mail server, you know, a mailer from one machine to another across a network, then you may have some emails that came in at the uh, at the start of that four-hour period and some other emails that came in towards the end, but not have some in the middle. So it's inconsistent. Now, an atomic snapshot means that you take an image of the entire file system at that point in time and it happens immediately. It happens in between disk operations. And that also means it has to happen fast enough that you don't notice any latency. So you can't have the whole file system down for like five minutes while we stabilize a snapshot. It happens the second you issue that command. You say ZFS snapshot my file system at my snapshot name and it's done. It's returned. Right. This is very different than just me doing like a CP-R and copying my root file system over to a backup. Yes, which could take hours. But when you take that snapshot, it is instantaneous and you're guaranteed that it's crash consistent. 
And the only way to make that possible is to have a copy-on-write file system. Now, what copy-on-write means is, unlike a traditional file system, and that's probably any file system that you're used to, ext4, earlier versions of ext, ntfs, fat, uh, you know, max, uh, hfs plus, you know, any of those, these are non-copy-on-write file systems. And the way these traditional file systems work is if you say, well, here's this file, and I want to read in this block from this file, and I want to change a value in that block, and I want to write it back out to the disk right where it was again. The file system says, okay, and it does exactly that. Uh, say you fix a typo in a Word document, and you're literally just changing a G to an H. Well, you load up that file. That one block changes, that one byte in that one block changes from a G to an H, and it gets written back out to exactly where it was. With a copy on write file system, your application still asks to do the exact same thing. It says, hey, file system, the only thing I need to change is this one block. So can you just go ahead and change this one block for me and write this new copy? And ZFS says, yes, will do. It's lying. What ZFS actually does is it writes the new copy of that block to a different place on the underlying physical storage. And then assuming that nothing but the current file system is referencing that old version of the block, the one that you asked to modify, then it unlinks it completely. So it becomes available to store other things too. Now this means that at any given point in time, what your ZFS file system actually looks like is a linked list of pointers to blocks on disk. And that means that all a snapshot really is, is you make a copy of this linked list of pointers to all the physical underlying blocks that are currently in use. Now, when you do that, that snapshot, it makes a copy of that linked list. And now you can change that same file. You can say, hey, I want to change that G to an H, read that block in, modify it and write it back. ZFS says, yes, will do. But again, it's not actually doing that. Uh, it writes the new copy of the block and it unlinks the old copy of the block from the live file system. But because you took that snapshot before you asked to modify that block, you still have a snapshot that references the old version of the block and it stays intact. So now when you look at the live file system, you see your typo corrected from a G to an H. When you look at the old version of the file system in that snapshot that you took prior to that modification, you see the old block. But all the other parts of the file system, that file, the rest of the file system, everything that hasn't changed, it's still intact and there's still only one copy of it. There's one block that's referenced in both the snapshot and the live copy. Really, it, it kind of feels like magic. Suddenly you can have all of these copies with, with subtle differences and not actually take up all the space it would require. And and really, it feels like to me, it lets you model stuff instead of having to think and be tied to the underlying disk structure and the raw sort of updating in place mechanism. You can just think about information. You can think about the document that you care about. You can make copies, revisions. In many ways, it's similar to some of the workflows that we develop with version-controlled software, where you can have these snapshots modify things, but efficiently. And, and once you can do that, suddenly you have a lot more power. Yeah, really efficiently. And you know, it's you Windows heads out there. Uh, I know a lot of you right now are screaming, well, that's what Volume Shadow Copies does. Right. I don't need ZFS for that. Um, but it, it is, it's kind of similar, but the performance implications and the storage efficiency implications are very, very different. Uh, volume Shadow Copies is a file-based feature. At the file level, Volume Shadow Copies will mark files immutable and make a new copy of the whole file for you to modify so that uh, you can get a certain amount of your data. You can kind of go fishing back through it and you know see what it looked like at a given point in time. But again, this is at the file level, not the block level. Uh, if you 
want to modify one single byte in a let's say a five gigabyte file that's protected by volume shadow copy, you're going to have a bad day because now you're going to have two entire copies of that whole five gig file with only one byte different. You're also, besides the storage, uh, besides the amount of storage consumption, uh, that's going to be a really ugly few minutes on your, uh, in terms of storage load, your whole system is going to slow down because it's busily trying to copy five gigs of data just to keep that one byte intact. Now, by comparison with ZFS, if you had a snapshot of that same five gig file and you want to modify one byte in it, uh, all it has to do is just make a copy of that one 4K block and that's it. You're done. You're good to go. You now have, uh, you know, five gigabytes plus 4K worth of storage and you only have an additional 4K of storage load, not an additional five gigs of storage load. Now, at this point, Wes, I'm going to kind of hijack the conversation a little bit towards one of my own projects. Oh, please do. The Sanoid project. So, you know, I mentioned I've I've been a, a ZFS user since the very, very early days. And, you know, once I got used to the idea of snapshots, the obvious immediate thing that came to my mind was, well, you know, this is a great feature. But the problem with taking snapshots is that, you know, inevitably you screw up first and you wish you had a snapshot later. Right. Yeah, right. Or I have to do some sort of organization. I can imagine I'd have some cron job, but now I'm writing scripts or I've made bad names for these snapshots. And, and suddenly this is just a bunch of bunch of stuff I don't really understand. And I've, I've made a mess of it. Yeah. So, you know, I want to do this thing like a grown up. I want to have rolling hourly, weekly and monthly snapshots. I don't want to have to be the one to take them. I want the system to take them, you know, when it's time for new hourly, time for new daily, time for new monthly. I want it to just happen. And you can't keep taking these things forever because... Although they are really, you know, space efficient in that they only consume, you know, the blocks that have actually changed, eventually that does add up. You know, you delete a file, but you don't actually reclaim any space because that file is still referenced in some snapshots. So you're going to have to do some pruning at some point. You have to have some kind of retention policy. Exactly. And so I started out doing this, like you said, you know, with with cron jobs. And, uh, you know, if you've only got one data set, it's it's not too bad to, you know, write your cron job that, you know, has some hackery with, you know, using the date command to come up with a name for your snapshot. And <laughs> yep, yep. Take things on time and delete them when they're old enough and whatever. But um, that worked pretty well at a smaller scale. But what I found was that the more I got used to this, the more I ended up with more complex systems that had multiple data sets that were hosting multiple virtual machines. And, you know, I had to have this whole complicated process going on in my, my cron tab, you know, with, with jobs for each one of these things independently. And it got really easy to screw it up and to have something that wasn't quite working right. And I didn't notice because, you know, I've got a 10 page long cron job. So that was the need that uh, drove me to create Sanoid. And what Sanoid does is it is an automated, completely policy-based system for automatically taking and expiring these snapshots. All right. Well, right off the bat, what exactly do you mean by policy-driven? So by policy-driven, what I mean is that, you know, as humans, we understand very simply and quickly what we really want to do. We want to say, for every data set on this system, I want to automatically take a snapshot every hour, every day, every month. I want to keep, for example, 30 hourly snapshots, 30 daily snapshots, and three monthly snapshots. And, you know, when I have more than that, when they get older than that, I want you to automatically remove those for me. And that's the way that we think about this. And that's a policy. So the idea behind Sanoid is rather than trying to build this big, complicated list of, you know, things that hopefully in the background implements your actual policy, Sanoid does it automatically for you. 
Right. So you've got a, a high-level configuration declarative description of, of what you want to happen. Sanoid does the rest. Exactly. So I can read I can read to you actually from an actual Sanoid config file. Sanoid config files are written in Toml, which is a very simple markup language. Um, a lot of people don't recognize the word Toml, but basically it means what win.ini files look like. You know, you've got a, a line in square brackets that uh, defines a module, and then you've got a bunch of one-line settings, you know, X equals Y, that apply to that module, and then you might have another module in square brackets. So that's what a Sanoid config file looks like. And you have two different types of modules. You have modules for your individual data sets, and you also have production modules. So I'm going to read to you an actual Sanoid config file. Module Banshee. Use template equals production. Recursive equals yes. Template underscore production module. Hourly equals 36. Daily equals 30. Monthly equals 3. Auto snap equals yes. Auto prune equals yes. All right, so that's an entire config file. And what that config file says is that for the data set Banshee and all child data sets underneath it, because you remember I said recursive equals yes. Oh, yeah. We're going to do what it said in that production template. We're going to take 36 hourlies, 30 dailies, and three monthlies. We will automatically take those and we will automatically expire them. Now, Sanoid is designed to be very belt and suspenders safe. Um, if you have said, for example, you know, hourly equals 36, that means it's not going to delete a snapshot, an hourly snapshot, unless you both have 36 total of them and the oldest is more than 36 hours old. Unless both of those things are true, it's not deleting anything from your hourlies. Oh, wow. That is that is nice. Yeah, it's also really smart about when it takes the snapshots. Um, it has preferred times to take hourlies, dailies, monthlies, etc., they default to what most people would expect. You know, it wants to take an hourly at the top of the hour. It wants to take a daily, not at midnight, because that's the first minute of the day. And most people think of a daily as containing everything from that day, not nothing from that day, right? So your preferred time to take a daily is actually at, you know, 11.59 p.m. on that day. And uh, your preferred time to take a monthly is uh, going to be on the first of the month, because that's what most people, I find, are expecting there. But... On a server that's got, uh, you know, battery-backed power and a data center or just, you know, a well-kept office or whatever, you can probably rely on the machine to be on for all these times. But, you know, what if you want to run Sanoid like on a laptop, right? Um, so it's just your laptop. You've got one disk, but, you know, it's ZFS and you want your regular rolling snapshots. And uh, you don't know for sure that the laptop's going to be on at 11.59 p.m., but you don't want to not take your daily, right? Oh, yeah. Well, Sanoid is really smart. If it detects that it's missed its preferred time to take a new snapshot, um, it will automatically take it as soon as it realizes the window has passed. Better yet, uh, let's say that you missed your window for a daily on your laptop. It was powered off at midnight. You didn't turn it back on until 10 o'clock the next night. It's not going to just take dailies at 10 o'clock p.m. from now on. It's still going to take one daily right now at 10 because it just woke up. It's going to take your next one at 11.59 p.m. when it should. Well, you touched on some of the benefits ZFS has when you maybe have a, a little bit larger of an installation base, several systems that maybe you're trying to keep in sync. And I think we've all had the pain of a horrible rsync that takes forever between two servers. Even when you know, you might not know which files changed, but, but you're pretty sure only a couple files changed. And ZFS here, once again, because of copy on write, has another huge advantage. Yeah, the ZFS file system has built-in replication and... You know, this is something that does not get enough press. I am embarrassed to admit how long I'd been using ZFS before I even experimented with replication because it's like, I have rsync. How can it possibly get any better than rsync? And rsync works across file systems. So 
why should I mess with this crap? And it was hard. Um, you know, if you actually look into it, you say, oh, God, I got to take snapshots and I got to figure out, you know, what snapshot I'm going from or going to or whether I'm doing a full or doing an incremental. Right. Not just my rsync dash A. Yeah. And I got to pipe it across SSH to get to another box and just, oh, it's there's no progress indicator. This is terrible. Um Story time again. The the first time I actually experimented with ZFS replication was because rsync had literally and completely failed me. Um, I had a job I needed to do that was absolutely impossible with rsync using the hardware at the time. I had a client who had uh, tens of millions of files on a server. Um, they weren't actually individual files. Most of them were hard links, which, you know, is just multiple pointers to the same file. Oh, wow. This is this is live here. Yeah, 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 but there's tens of millions of these things. And, you know, for rsync to work, it actually has to compare, it has to stat every single file on both the source and the target. And it has to keep information about all those files in memory at once in order for it to do its job. Now, you know, this was back in uh, 2009, I think. And the absolute most RAM I could possibly physically cram into a box with a budget that this client could manage, you know, back then was, was 16 gigs. The box had actually been running very happily on just like four, you know, as their file server. And it was fine. No need to update it. But then we had to get the data off of this thing and onto a new server. And, uh, you know, the rsync jobs would just crash. They would exhaust all the system RAM and die um, after many, many hours of statting all these hard links. So I went and I, you know, bought all the RAM I could possibly cram into it, which was 16 gigs. And, Again, after like 18 hours of statting files, the job would die for memory exhaustion. So uh, I, I had heard of ZFS replication, but I had been one of those folks that was like, why would I even want to bother with this when I have rsync? But I had seen people talking about ZFS replication being able to manage jobs that rsync couldn't. I had never run into one until now, but now I was in that boat, so I had to do it. And so I set up a ZFS job because this was on you know ZFS. Um, I took a snapshot and I set up, you know, ZFS send, uh, client pool at, uh, snapshot, piped it through SSH to the other machine to ZFS receive, you know, new pool data set, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, it, it started going and I could see that it was moving data. You know, I could go into another shell and I could see that it was hitting the hard drives really hard and I could see that data was flowing across the network, but I didn't really have a good, you know, indication of how long this was going to take. I'm just kind of crossing my fingers and hoping. And so I let this thing run for like, uh, God, I think it took like 43 hours before it finished. Oh man. Yeah. Cause this was a lot of actual data in addition to, you know, all these individual, you know, file stats. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it worked. At the end of the, like, 43 hours, it was there. It was done. Everything was good. I had moved my intact, you know, file system with all these ridiculous hard links and everything else, and everything was good. So this was my first taste of something replication could do that rsync couldn't. And, you know, and I promptly forgot about it for a few more years. But finally, I just, I kind of started feeling the itch, like... I want to consider myself a ZFS guy and I don't know enough about this, but I know sometimes it can do things that our sync can't. So I should play around with this more. And in particular, once ZFS on Linux got to be a thing that I could use, that scratched a huge itch for me because now I could have VM images on data sets. You know, we talked about these atomic snapshots that, you know, had a consistent 
point in time, this is exactly what everything was like right then. Well, you could do this for an entire VM. You know, I mean, it might be 10 terabytes worth of data, but you could ask for a snapshot and you've got that entire VM frozen at one atomic instant in time. Well, now you want to be able to back up that VM, right? Like it's already pretty awesome. You can snapshot these things on the regular and you can roll back to those snapshots so you can undo like a Windows update that went bad or an application update that went bad or whatever. Right, that's already enough of a superpower, right? You you have all this stuff, you're, you're below the file system and, and regardless of if the, that operating system supports all this magic, well, it doesn't matter, you've got it. Yeah, but you know, the thing that you still can't do is you still don't have a great way of getting this thing actually backed up. A snapshot's not a backup, right? I mean, it'll protect you from a lot of different kinds of of issues and errors. But if the whole box catches on fire or, you know, if uh, junkies break into the office and steal everything that's not nailed down, including your server, your data is just gone unless you backed it up elsewhere. Right. Doesn't count as a separate copy of that data. Yeah. Now, with the snapshots, you could, and uh, I flirted with this for a while, you know, you now that you can take a snapshot, you can say, well, I can mount that snapshot. And now I can R-sync, you know, that five terabyte VM image off of that snapshot onto another machine. But the thing about that is every single time you do it, R-sync is going to have to read every single block of those five terabytes of data on both the source end and the target end before it can throw the first actual block down the wire. So even if your VM actually only changed by like 100 megs worth of data, you know, from one snapshot to the next, when you go to R-sync that thing, now you may only have to really move that 100 megs of data across the wire, but you've got to read the full five terabytes on both sides before you can even start. That's going to take hours. Worse yet, not only is it going to take hours, but the storage load on your production machine is just going to be intense because you're literally saturating the drives for hours straight trying to read all these terabytes worth of data. Well, you know, that just doesn't fly, right? This is where replication comes in. Because unlike rsync, when you do ZFS replication, it's snapshot based. So, you know, your first replication, it's going to have to be a full. It's not a whole lot different from an rsync at this point. If you don't have any data on the target end, you've got to throw all the blocks down the wire. And that's about all there is to it, right? That's just sort of a law of nature right there. But that's seeding your target. Now you can do incrementals. And now when you do incrementals with rsync, like we already said, you have to read absolutely every single block on both ends. For terabytes of data, it'll take hours. It's painful, yada, yada, yada. However, uh, oh, also if you're doing this with rsync, you're going to be occupying five terabytes worth of data for each separate copy of that backup on your target. Because remember, there's no deduplication at all on rsync. Even though you only moved 100 megs worth of data down the line, you've written an entire new five terabytes on your target. Ugh. But with ZFS, you're, what you're actually replicating is technically, yes, your data is getting replicated, but the way it's happening is by snapshot, not by file. And it happens at the block level. So with ZFS, let's say that I have my five terabyte VM and I have cleverly named it pool slash five TB. Now I say ZFS snapshot pool slash five TB at one. That creates snapshot number one, which is an atomic instant consistent copy of my entire VM at that point in time. Now I can replicate that. The naive way to do this is directly with the ZFS send tool. You can just say ZFS send pool slash 5TB at one pipe SSH root at remote machine ZFS receive pool slash 5TB. Now, when you do that, it will read all five terabytes of data and fling them down the wire and reconstitute them on the other side. And now you have uh, 
not just pool slash 5TB, but pool slash 5TB at one, that exact snapshot as well as the live file system on both sides. That was a full replication and it took some time because you had to move all the data. But now, you've only changed a couple of files inside your VM, right? So not much data has actually changed. But now you say ZFS snapshot pool slash 5TB at two. Now you have two snapshots, at one and at two. And you already know that you have at one on your remote machine. So you can just do an incremental. So now you say ZFS send dash I pool slash 5TB at one pool slash 5TB at two. That asks for an incremental replication. Now, all that's going to do is it's only going to move the blocks that have changed from at one or at two. And crucially, it doesn't have to grovel over the entire five terabyte data set to figure that out. It already knows. Because remember, snapshot is just a linked list of block pointers. So it already very inexpensively knows without having to stat any files or read any data. It knows which blocks have changed and which ones haven't. So it immediately flings the changed blocks down the wire through SSH to your remote machine. So you've piped this ZFSN-I to SSH root at remote machine ZFS receive pool slash 5TB. So now it receives this incremental replication and it says, okay, I need to add these blocks. I need to remove those blocks. Now you have at one and at two on both sides. And it only took the amount of time to get a hundred megs worth of data across the pipe, not to stat, you know, 50,000 files, not to read five terabytes worth of data, not to write five terabytes worth of data, just the time to read, move across the network and write that hundred megs that actually changed. So, you know, this means orders of magnitude faster and lower load on the systems than rsync can ever do. Right. Not only is this just a better way to do it, but it it fundamentally enables different workflows because of, of how much faster it is. Yeah. So this is the holy grail. Now it's actually possible for me to automatically, no hands, take these automated snapshots of these systems. And, uh, you know, I, I have my entire system at any given point in time guaranteed correct. I can just roll back to it, fire it up, whatever. I also now know that it's possible to get those cheaply and easily and with low impact across a network to another machine, either on site or remote. All this is now possible. But can you see what my next problem was, Wes? All right. Well, you've, you've got all these this replication capability. But how do you manage that, especially if you've got multiple data sets with multiple different backup schedules? You know, even without the multiple data sets, it is a giant pain. So at this point in my past, I now know how awesome replication is, and I'm using it fairly frequently. But, you know, it's all manual because it's a pain in the butt. And what happens is I'll sit down for like 10 or 15 minutes figuring out, okay, what's my most recent snapshot I have in common between these two machines? And then what's the newest one? Okay, I need to build my ZFS command to go between the two of them. And I need to build my SSH command to get the data from the source to the target. And then my ZFS receive command to get it there. Oh, and I'm also going to want some way to monitor my progress. Because like you remember the first time I did this, it ran for like, you know, 43 hours and I didn't know where I was. Well, that stinks. I want to be able to see what's going on. So I need to pipe that through a progress viewer. Um, like I said, it would take me about 15 minutes of work to actually make this happen every time I did it. Wow. I didn't want that. I wanted the replication to be just as hands off as the snapshot taking and expiring was to begin with. That's where Syncoid comes into play. Syncoid does for replication what Sanoid did for taking and expiring snapshots. It automates the whole thing for you. My vision here was, you know, just like rsync or SCP, I just want to be able to say Syncoid, source, target, and have it happen. Whether it's a full replication or an incremental replication, I want Syncoid to figure that out. 
we need to figure out, you know, what is the the newest snapshot that they have in common versus what's the newest snapshot on the source. I don't want to think about that. I want Syncoid to figure that out. Whether we need to go ahead and take a new snapshot on the source to make sure that we capture any data on the live file system since the most recent snapshot that was taken. Again, I want that to happen for me. I don't want to have to think about it. I don't want to sit there and just stare at a blank command prompt for anywhere between five minutes and five hours. I want a progress indicator that's going to show me how much data have we moved, how much do we have let to go, uh, how much time do I expect this is going to take. I want all this stuff to just automatically happen the same way it would if, if I used SCP. I would say or RSync, but honestly, you know, progress indicators on RSync are not great, to say the least. So it sounds, you know... It, at first you think, well, that's relative. That's a relatively simple problem, right? By the time you put all that together, you actually wind up with a couple thousand lines of code. And that's exactly what I did. And, um, Syncoid is just as simple as what I said I wanted. You say Syncoid source to target, and it doesn't matter whether the target is local or remote. It doesn't matter whether the source is local or remote. It doesn't matter whether it's a full, an incremental, any of those things. It figures it all out. It just does it for you, and it happens. It gives you an automatic uh, progress where you can see how fast your data is moving, how much of your data you've moved, how much is left to go, estimated time of completion. Uh, it does inline compression across the network for you. So when you're moving across, you know, even on a local link, you probably want uh, LZO compression. Even across a gigabit LAN, you'll usually move your data faster LZO compressed across the network than, you know, letting it go raw uncompressed. Over a WAN link, you might want to specify GZIP compression instead because, you know, you're willing to sacrifice a little more CPU for a more efficient ratio. You can do that with a simple argument, compress equals gzip instead of uh, the default, which is compress LZO. Uh, all this stuff is just automatic, so it becomes incredibly scriptable. You can also do a recursive syncoid. So let's say that you've got you know a pool named data, and you've got a parent data set named images, where all your VM images go. But each one of your VMs is in a separate data set underneath that. So you've got data images Windows, data images Linux, data images FreeBSD, whatever, because you want to be able to snapshot all those independently. You want to be able to roll them back independently, right? If you have to roll back your Windows box, you don't want to take the Linux and the FreeBSD box with it. But you don't have to say, Syncoid data images Linux, Syncoid data images Windows, Syncoid. You can just say Syncoid R for recursive data images to your target, and it will do all of them at once for you. So this has become very automatable. It's become very easy to live with. You know, when you're doing it live on the command line, everything works the way you want it to. That really sounds like a simple and battle tested tool. Just my favorite. If you're as curious to give Syncoid and Sanoid a try, well, you can find links in our show notes. TechSnap.Systems slash 402. That'll bring us to the end of this program. Jim and I are off to get ready for Linux Fest Northwest. If you're not able to make it this year, well, you can follow along. We're going to have a live stream over at jblive.tv, and of course, you can follow along on Twitter. The network is at JupiterSignal, I'm at Wes Payne, and Jim, you're... JRSSNet. Thank you all for joining us. See you next time.